more voices and guest singing and special music. It's what a, what a great blessing and treat. Um, well, turn back with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our journey through the book of Philippians and we're looking at how we run the race, how we run it strong. And of course, that, that race is the, the race of life and how we live how we live life. And so last week in chapter one, we saw some of the you know, philosophies for running the race. These are, these are wise ways that you would run the race or, or live. And it begins with first through prayer, uh, second through an attitude of joy, uh, through your lifestyle, and then finally understanding that, that heavenly citizenship. Remember the church in Philippi is... It's doing okay. It's, it's not in turmoil. It's not you know, being accused of any sin. Um, but the race is taking place. The race is going on. And in fact, Paul is writing to the, Philipp- the church of uh, Philippi from prison. And so even in his own life, in, in his life's race, he's, he's in, a, in, a, in a trial. He's in an obstacle. Knowing that those he's writing to, knowing that us, that we will uh, be in a, in a long and, and, and grueling race for life. Well, how do we respond? So today we're going to look at four marks uh, for running the race so that we'll have a plan. So that we'll have a plan for running. You know, we don't, we don't want to just run aimlessly, right? We, we want to have a plan. And, and so there's certain, cer- certain marks that we can, we can look for, the mark of unity, a uh, a mark of humility, a mark of, of, of labor, and a mark of leadership. We're going to look at two of those today. And so again, if you look at uh, Philippians 1.27, just getting some context again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. And so when we look at the the, the setting for chapter two, the the marks of unity, the marks of of humility, it comes out of understanding uh, Philippians 1.27, which which commands that, you know what, we're called to walk, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy. In a worthy manner of what? Not in a, a manner worthy of like your denomination, not in a manner worthy of, of your pastor, not in a manner worthy of your parent. In a manner worthy of the gospel. What's the gospel? The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. 
That's what drives you to walk in a manner worthy. To, to, to please our master. And so this allows us then to, to stand firm. How do we stand firm? Because we stand firm locked in arms and united in the gospel. Our, our one-mindedness is driven by, again, the gospel. So we have to be very, very careful of all the little tangents that we may want to argue about and discuss or, or even preach about when really at the center of everything then becomes the, the, the gospel. This is why we celebrate communion, to make sure that we don't ever let that get too far away. But then we see this, this verse here. And you know, it would be easy enough to just read by it and not think too much about it. But this mentioning that, you know what? There's going to be a suffering for his sake. I don't know about you, but when I see that, it makes me pause. Whoa, time out. What do you mean suffering? Um, is that what we signed up for? I, I thought, I thought... You know, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then all your problems are going to be solved. Isn't that what they told you? Right? That, that you know, you're going to be wealthy beyond means. You know, there's going to be a health, wealth, and prosperity. Uh, you're going to be healed of all your ailments. You're going to sin no more. That's not the promise of, of the scriptures. The promise is that you can be restored and forgiven and born again and have a new newness of life in Christ. But there will be suffering. And so there's four ways here now in chapter 2 that we can stand firm for four marks in this in this race that that we're going to go through. Um, it's interesting when you think in the context of of a race. It's the first thing you say when you get ready to 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 race on your mark Get set, go. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We've probably heard it a thousand times, especially if you've ever watched, you know, the Olympics or something like that. You've heard it at school. It's like, what does that mean? It's like, you, here's the starting position. Here's, here's the mark that is set. It's only the first mark. It's only the first marker. In a race, there's several markers. Now, you know, if you're uh, just running a, you know, a hundred yard dash, you know, then it's, it's two marks, the start and the finish, right? And it's a straight line. Or if you're on a track and it goes around in circles, right? You, you want to make sure you stay on track and go in the circles. But when you think of something like a marathon race that travels through cities and it has twists and turns, or you think of a cross-country race that might go through, you know, rivers and woods and hills and valleys, then there would need to be markers or marks that indicate that you're on the right path, right? Wouldn't it be terrible to run a 26-mile marathon and, you know, you went the wrong way? You, you made a left instead of a right. Well, well, that's the point here. We're trying to, you know, the path's trying to keep us on, on track to give us these, these, these marks, um, these key starting points. When, when I stopped playing football and... Uh, my one of our family's great friends, you know, had suggested, well, you know, instead of going back into PE, instead of, you know, getting your schedule all rearranged, just, you know, you should do cross country. It's only three miles, you know, and in football, you run all the time. 
it shouldn't be a big deal for you. And I thought, yeah, what's, um, I've seen those guys out there, those skinny little dudes running around in circles, you know, big deal, right? Well, I had no idea, but we actually had the, the, the third fastest racer in the whole country at our school, at our, you know, a school in Glendale. And so the whole team had to personify him and his pattern and his training regimen. And so like for him, uh, you know, an off day was like a 20 mile run. You know, we starting in Glendale, you know, run and go run to the Rose Bowl, you know, or we'd go run to, you know, Griffith Park and around the all Griffith Park. And it's like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. Um, we did these things called intervals, you know, where you sprint, you know, like a whole lap. And then you really slow jog a lap. And then you sprint again. And you do like, it's like, let's do 15 of them. Let's do 20 of them. You know, it's just throw out these numbers like, you know, it means nothing. So I didn't know what I was in for. But then the day came when we, we started racing. And, you know, I had never been in a cross-country race in my life. I had no idea what was in store. And there's strategy there's actual strategy to running. I thought, you know what? On your mark, get set, go. Right? For as fast as you can, for as long as you can, and try to win. No idea that there's like this strategy. And so like 15 minutes before we get ready to run, the coach huddles us up and we go, okay, you know, Martinez is, is, is a rabbit. You know, he's, he's, he's going to, what's a rabbit in cross country? He's the guy, he, he's just going to sprint as fast as he can and, and, and to try to like pull and draw people out just to get them tired. And then that guy's going to like, he's not even going to be a part of the finish of the race. He's just there to set a pace and a tone and really to like try to find a fool like me to, to follow him and chase him. And then I'd be tired after one mile. Um, they had pacers. Guys that were just like, you know, steady Eddie. And, and these guys would run the same minute mile, whether it was one mile, two miles, 10 miles, just steady as you go. It's like, stay paced with that guy. And you know, you're, you're on track, you're on course from a time standpoint. Uh, they had, you know, things like boxing guys out. It's like, oh, well, you can cut people off kind of without touching them. You know, there's ways to box them out. <laughs> And then my favorite was, was the final kick. Because there were these guys that, I, I don't know, you know, God creates different people that they could run forever. And then at the very end, sprint as though they had not run at all. And, and that was news to me, again, not being a runner. And, and I unfortunately discovered that there's a point system in cross country. And I just so happened to fall in the last points tier which meant my points were important. And so, you know, I meant something. And so, you know, I had to actually, you know, finish the race. And I remember the first race where I'm running with this guy the whole time, side by side, and we got about 100 yards to go. And, you know, he just kind of looked at me and smiled and took off like a shotgun. And I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? I had nothing left, you know? Um, but see, there's, there's all these different types and ways to run, right? And certainly everybody has a different role, um, but there's a starting line, there's, there's marks, there's a finish line, and then there's a role that you, you, you have. 
in cross country, there's hills, there's rivers, there's, you know, there's, there's just different types of obstacles. It's not just a straight run. It makes it really unique. Um, I still don't like running and never will. Um, so the question is, how are you going to run this race of life? I mean, what are you doing? Right? What are you doing with your life? Are you just running? You just wake up and just, you know, run out the door, right? Um, well, there's certain marks, and two of the marks we're going to talk about today is to, to run, uh, you know, to unity and with humility. Unity and humility, and these are very important. So, uh, back to the book, you know, Philippians 2.1. If therefore... There is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, to make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Well, the first thing we see here is this conditional statement, if, if, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Now, remember, we, we just came off of this great exhortation. Walk in a manner worthy, right? Run a, a worthy race. Understand there's going to be suffering. So with that in mind, here's some encouragement. Here's some encouragement. Do you guys ever feel the need for encouragement? Every day? <laughs> every hour? Every minute, right? Our encouragement begins in Christ. You know, you, you think about that. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean just, again, that Jesus is just this, you know, um, you know magic genie? My encouragement begins in knowing that, that Christ made a sacrifice for me. For, for, to cover my sin, to, to cover my failures in this race. So if I can be encouraged to know as, as hard as this race might be, as Badly as I may run it, I've got Christ who's got my back. Well, that's a great encouragement. That's great to know. If there's any consolation, if there's any consolation of love, first thing I thought of when I was looking at, you know, consolation, well, we're, we're kind of have this big picture of a race, the, the consolation prize, right? Well, I don't like that. I, I like winning. I like, you know, second place is first last. But you know what? In, in, in a race, and we talked about this last week, and our citizenship is in heaven. We're very fortunate that it's not just a matter of like one person in this room being the best Christian, only they go to heaven, right? Only they win. Well, I'm, I'm glad we have consolation prizes because I'm going in with the consolation ribbon not the first place ribbon. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. But it's a consolation of love, of love. And we're going to talk a little bit more about 
um, this this pregnant term love, we we've so lost a sense of what love means. Love means either this this you know desire for a candy bar, right? I I, I love Three Musketeers, which makes it mean almost nothing, or it almost always goes to this you know kind of physical. Um, attraction for somebody else or physical pleasure and that's what love is if you watch hollywood if if they want to describe love they're going to show it in a physical way almost always they'll never show it in a character or an action way as we've seen it in first corinthians 13 if there's any fellowship of spirit fellowship is, is an important word for us as believers there's friendship we, we can have friends, friends, and there can be friendship, but, but fellowship is this, this unity in the spirit. A, a fellowship is a spiritual thing. It's a biblical thing. It's a godly thing. It's a holy thing. And so for us as believers, we're trying to encourage one another. We're trying to, to make it through this race uh, in unity, in fellowship with one another. This is that idea of iron sharpens iron, Right? Where believers have fellowship. Friends go fishing. Believers keep each other accountable. Believers bear one another's burdens. Believers share in, in a fellowship and are united in that spirit. And if there's any affection and compassion. And so just again, pause for a second. We understand that there's going to be suffering. That we're going to run this race. And, and out of that, we're... we're we're called to be united, and it begins with these words like encouragement and consolation of love and fellowship of spirit and, and affection and compassion. Remember in, in chapter 1, we saw the intimacy in which, which Paul writes to the church. We do not serve just like this sterile relationship with, with a stone God. This is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Our maker, our redeemer, our friend. It's a personal relationship with our God. This is why we don't have a mediator that we go and pray to that prays for us. No, we pray directly to, to God ourselves. We have relationship. It's an intimate re re relationship that we have with Christ. And in that that's how we then all become united together. If it were any other way, we would just have our own individual needs and desires, right? We would all want to win the race. Every man for himself. Elbows, pulling hair, whatever, right? Whatever it takes. But no, we're actually running this race as a team. And our team helps us to get through this race. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, and th this is where our joy comes from. Even in trial, even in suffering, even in this rigorous, painful race, we, we can have joy, and it can be complete joy. This is why in James 1 it says, you know, whatever trials you, ha you, you have, you know, consider it pure joy. Be glad. How can I be glad when things are going so hard? Well, by verse 2, by being of the same mind, 
maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. What's that purpose? Again, that purpose is unity. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. Let's look at first. We've, you know, we hear this all the time. Um, it's wedding season, so you know you've probably even heard it at some weddings recently. <clears throat> when we talk, when the Bible talks about being united in love, it's not talking about like this this hippie kind of love, right? We just sit around in a circle and you know blow bubbles, okay? Braid each other's hair. No. Love has action. Love is action. And if you're not sure, ask any married couple. Because the whole looking at each other and batting eyes lasts, you know, five minutes. Or 27 years if you're me and Susan, but, you know. Um, But there's obstacles in the race, right? So, what is our love not just based on, what are the marks of love? When you evaluate, am I loving my wife? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving my, my fellow member in the church? This is what God's talking about. So we're united in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with 4. We're united. Love is patient. We're united in patience with one another. Are we patient with one another here? Right? Are we patient? Not just your spouse, not just your kids. Are we patient with each other? So we're united as a church family. We're united as a body. We're united in this race. And the, the mark for that is, hey, we got to be patient with one another. You know, we, we set very, very high standards for the person across from us. And expect them to lower the bar for us because hey we're i'm human i'm going to make mistakes jim on the other hand he's got to be perfect at all times so we're united what is love then in patience we're united in kindness be kind to one another there's never a reason not to be kind. In fact, even if some, someone were in a sin and a trespass, Galatians 6.1 says, do it in kindness. So at the worst point of somebody, when they're in sin, when they're caught in sin, you're still to be kind. How much more so when you're just sharing in fellowship? When you're just running the race, there's no problem at all. Just be kind. We're united in not being jealous. We're united in not bragging. We're united in not being arrogant. Are those who are, are, are there some that are conceited? Philippians 2 has something to say about that that we'll get to. Be united, verse 5, in not acting unbecomingly. It's not okay to act unbecomingly. It's not okay to, you know, be raunchy and rude. It does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. When, when we say to, do not look merely after your own personal interests, when you, when you do look out for your own self or your own personal interests, then you're not being loving. That's not loving. I don't care what it looks like. That's not loving by definition. Um, it's not provoked. Love is not provoked. Are you easily provoked, irked, tweaked, 
irritated, annoyed? Are you? Because that's not the marking of love. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not keep a ledger book of wrongs suffered. Every single time I've ever had a counseling um, conversation, it always, always goes back years about wrong suffered. Wrong suffered after wrong suffered after wrong suffered. And typically, not major stuff. Dare I say stupid, silly stuff that you're clinging on and holding on to. Love doesn't do that. We don't stay united when we hold on to those past things. In fact, that's part of Philippians 3 and running the races, forgetting what lies behind and moving forward to what lies ahead, pursuing the upward goal, the upward prize. Love does not, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love, being united means we bear all things. We, we carry one another's burdens. We believe in all. We hope in all. That means when we look at each other and see each other struggling, see somebody next to us that maybe doesn't have it all together, you know what? We have great hope for them. Right? We believe in them. That's what being united in spirit, that's what being united in love means. That's what it looks like. This is the biblical way that it looks like. Write this on your forehead. Love endures all things. Love never fails. Love endures all things. Not some things, not most things. All things. All things. It does not fail. How do we stay lock and key together, united? How does a marriage... Stay together by living out love, by not letting it fail, by enduring, by enduring. One of the things that was a great shock to me in running cross country was how painful the race was. I mean, it physically hurt and you had to endure that. You had to fight through that pain and endure it. You don't give up. You don't ever give up. You don't fail. Failing isn't coming in third. Failing isn't coming in eighth. Failing is not finishing the race. Failing is giving up. Failing is not applying the attributes of love. See, we can go to Philippians 2 and just see this one word, this this exhortation that says, have and maintain unity in love and blow right by it, right? without having the context of 1 Corinthians 4, 7 through 8. But you have to. That, that, that's, that's what the scripture means when it says united in this same love. United in spirit. Again, this, is, this isn't just a, a, a worldly, fleshly thing. We're believers. We're driven by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Don't fight against that spirit. Work with it. The Spirit is a, 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 a great and, and, and mysterious uh, thing. But Jesus, the, the new covenant promises us this, this Holy Spirit. The, the, Jesus promises us that our helper, our help in this race is 
spirit-driven. Don't fight the spirit. Work with the spirit. We, we, we want to argue all those points of love. Yeah, but you don't know this guy. You, you don't know how she is. Don't, don't fight it. Obey. Be intent. Be intent on one purpose. This, this one purpose. How are we united? By, by doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than himself. The, the, the purpose of unity then is do nothing from this self-centeredness. What's the opposite of unity then? The opposite of unity would be be self-focused, right? Be self. Wake up and think of yourself. Think of me, me first. Uh, the everything's just about me. Well, that's not too hard to imagine, is it? We do that a lot. When we wake up thinking about just ourselves. And everybody out there is supposed to serve your interest, your own personal interests. Um, well, then that develops a overinflated, conceited mind. What, what's conceit then? It's this idea of being vain, being narcissistic, proud. Unfortunately, our world drives narcissism. It, it, it praises narcissism. The, the whole point of, of your existence is to think of yourself first. I was, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. Thinking about the word you, unite and being in unity. And it may, reminded me of well, the United States, right? Do you realize we're, we're states, individual states that are, that are united together? How? Based on, on what? Because remember the beginning, I mean, these are people who came from all over the world who wanted to flee other places for whatever reasons. Usually it was religious persecution. They wanted the freedom to make their own wealth. They were very, very independent people. I mean, so independent that they would leave where they were going at risk of their whole family dying. That's how independent they were. Well, when they came here, they, they had to make compacts, right? They, they had to make compromises in order to what? In order to have some kind of unity. And so when you look and you study the original 13 uh, colonies, you know, most of them, okay, we have a specific religious purpose here. So you know what? They're all going to go to that state, right? Uh, we have specific uh, type of economy where, you know, we want to plant, we want to hunt, what? They would go there. You know, they have a certain, you know, different lifestyles. And so these different states were formed with like-minded people that were also individual, but then all became united. Fast forward 2019. It's all about you. It doesn't matter about your neighborhood. doesn't matter about your states. It doesn't matter about the United States. The only thing that matters is your own personal agenda, no matter how weird or outrageous it is. By definition, that is a very narcissistic 
approach. And when you listen, well, that's the outcry. That's the outcry is all I care about is me. To what extent have we gotten off our course of this race? And you know what? This big, massive crowd, right? You're running in a marathon race and there's thousands of people in this race. And this big, massive crowd just, you know, starts going right. Well, the marker says go left, but you follow the crowd going right. The marker says, hey, stay united, not, not just for unity's sake. There's got to be a point and a purpose, right? Same love, same spirit, right? Don't be conceited. And so remember, we serve one master. We have one rule of law. We have guidelines and, and markers for, for living under that that master and his rule. So the point of to be united is, again, then having the same mindset with the same goals, the same desires, and the same plan as, as Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who's the model? Who's the pattern? Jesus. Paul says it, follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow me because I'm Paul and I'm amazing. Not not follow me because I'm Tony and I'm pastor. No, you you follow Christ. You only follow me as I model Christ. And if you don't model Christ, then don't follow me. Because the good chances are that's the flesh and and that, that could lead to destruction. So the second mark, after unity, the second mark for running this race is to run in humility. How do we stay united? How do we stay knitted together? Well, you need to have this attitude. What's the attitude? In yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In Christ's ultimate display of humility, that's what was supposed to drive us to exalt him the most. Not in his kingship, not in his power, but in his sacrifice, in his humility. Is that what we admire the most of Christ? His humility? I hope so, because that's a key mark for us to, to run this race. This is the way our attitude needs to begin. See, when you wake up being vain and egotistical and proud and thinking of yourself, you've already started the race in the wrong way. Instead, you have to have a different attitude. You know, I, I love the, the term, what would Jesus do, right? Well... It begins with this idea of humility. How so? To what extent? This is a great theological um, passage here. It's, it's called the kenosis, right? It's just a, the, the Greek term for 
the Greek verb for Jesus emptying himself. Emptying himself. What does that mean? Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, incarnate. Right? This is God walking on the face of the earth, the triune Godhead in the flesh. Okay, that, that should be confusing. <laughs> that, that should blow your mind away that how does this happen? And it has theologians for years and unfortunately it's driven many a men to heresy. And so Jesus is 100% God and 100% man at all times. And then we come to this passage and we see this, this emptying. In, in what way? Well, Jesus renounces or, or just sets aside his divine nature to, to exactly what consent? Well, to, to the extent that he doesn't cling to his, his own rights. I am the son of God. I am a part of the triune Godhead. You can't do this to me. No, he doesn't do that. He lays that aside. He, he's modest. He's modest. He, he lays aside his glory. He, he, he's, he's meek. If you were in charge, right? If you were king, if you were president, if you, how would you be? Would you be so gracious? Would you be so kind? Would you be so humble? Well, this is the mindset that we're supposed to have. This is the way. And again, calling back to Ephesians 5, when we, when we look at a husband and a wife relationship and the husband's to be the head of, of the household, he's supposed to do so with the mindset of Christ, which was driven by humility, which was driven by not being this, this arrogant, egotistical, um, power-hungry leader. No, instead, verse 7 he empties that. And not only, not only does he relinquish, not only does he go from king, right, to son of God and say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the crown off and, and put it over here. I'm just going to be normal. No, he doesn't go from that. He goes from king to slave to lamb. He goes all the way to the other, to the other end. Without arrogance, without arrogance, being fond and found in the appearance of as a man, as a, do you know how humbling that would be for for God to be here on earth as a man? I mean, have you looked at yourself recently? Seen how bad you are, <laughs> and, and to come and dwell amongst us is. I mean, again, the only thing we could possibly picture would be a, a, a king of, of, you know, the 12th generation of kings and the arrogance and the pompousness. And, and he's going to go walk amongst the, you know, the people, the commoners, right? And not just walk amongst them. He's going to serve them. No. Well, what did Jesus do? He washes feet. Feet. He washes feet. Um, Jesus washes washes people's stinky, dirty feet. My family won't even touch my feet. 
And I'm their dad. And Jesus is washing guys' feet that are walking around in open-toed sandals, right? It's not a pretty sight. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I don't have a home to lay my head in. He's humble. He was born in a barn, our Savior. The king is born in a barn. his, His big steed is a donkey, right? We've talked about that. Over and over again, Jesus is the great example of running this race with humility. Paul, too, has his markers. Uh, Philippians 3, 3 through 9. Uh, For we are the true circumcision who worship in spirit of glory and the glory in Christ Jesus and put put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself, here's here's Paul saying, look, I, I don't put my confidence in who I am personally. If I did, well, I, anyone else, has a mind to put confidence in the flesh. I far more. I'm the best, is what he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as a loss. For the sake of Christ. It, that's the attitude we, we have to have. We have to put aside ourself. Whatever you think, whoever you think you are, however great you think you might be, you're, you're deceived. Self-deceived. And so we see Jesus in verse 8. He's... he's humbles himself and he's he's obedient he's obedient to the will of god remember in the garden of gethsemane if there's another way let this cup pass there isn't another way the only way to save mankind is is you jesus have to die They're, they're so bad there's no other way and so jesus obeys and he allows himself in humility not only to die for us but to be spat on, to be ridiculed, to be beaten, to be tortured, even to the point of death on a cross. The most shameful, public, humiliating death there was. That's why they did it, was on a cross. That's what Jesus did for us. So to understand the pattern of running the race is understanding being united being united by humbly laying aside yourself. You've got to humbly lay aside yourself. Is that, is that a hard thing for us to, to comprehend? Is it a hard thing for us to, um, to be obedient to? Well, it would be if you were following a human king, a human president, a human pastor, a human father, It would be a hard thing. But that's not who we follow. We follow Christ. If there's any encouragement in Christ, not in Paul, right? Not in your husband, not in your wife, not in your family, not in your nation. If there's any encouragement, let me encourage you in Christ. And so running this race is all about running it with and united in Christ. 
That's how we run together, right? It's a big giant spoke wheel. In the center is Christ, and we're just spokes. You know what a spoke does when it's on its own? Nothing. It's worthless. In a wheel, it has great purpose, great and powerful purpose. As long as it's united, then it has great functionality. And so there's a point to selfless selfless humility. There was a point to Jesus laying aside and emptying himself and just randomly do it for nothing. And there's a point when you do it too. And you know what? When you do that, when you live like that, when you run that kind of race, you will have joy in that race. It was, it was a humbling thing for me to see the people who enjoyed running because I hated it. I loathed every second of it. And I could never find any ounce of joy. Didn't matter how many points I get, I, I just, nothing. And here they are just soaking it up, enjoying every inch of it. Don't you want to live life like that? It's not that it was easy. The race isn't easy. It was hard. It's hard for them too. But they enjoyed it. And you enjoy it by being united in the same spirit. You enjoy it by humbling yourself. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for setting.